fabulous to be in beautiful chilly Canberra this morning. One degrees, I think it was, outside. I've forgotten what winter is like. We've been in lockdown during the last two winters in Sydney, so we didn't go outside hardly at all. It's a bit of a shock. But how fabulous to be with you all weekend. We had a blast yesterday, didn't we, ladies? Men, you're going to have to ask us what we talked about. I'll give you a hint. It had to do with something to do with spinach in your teeth or something like that. Secret women's business. But um, we had a great time together and it's such an honour to be here. As Cade mentioned, I have been in relationship with Divergent Church for many years, knowing Josh and Ange um, from 15, 20 years ago and watched how this church has grown and how it's diversified. And I've always been so impressed, um, even chatting with Rachel and Cade last night at the spirit of community and outreach and particularly innovation. There's always something new going on and there's this sense of can-do attitude and I love that. And I pray that uh, as a church you keep that heart, that, you know, one of the things I've noticed when the Spirit speaks there is always movement. There's always change. There's always growth. There's always outreach. And it forever takes us out of our comfort zones and takes us into new places. Is anyone with me on that one? Well, this morning's message was inspired by a radio interview that took place a few years ago in Sydney, in my hometown with the ABC. And we had a Sunday night, it was on the religion show, it was on a Sunday night, uh, involved three experts on the topic of Pentecostalism. Kind of a hot topic in the media with the growth of larger churches and ScoMo and whatever. But people wonder what these Pentecostal churches are. And if you know anything about the movement called Pentecostalism, this is Divergent Church is one of uh, those churches in that tradition. We are known because we recognize the importance of a really special day in history after Jesus left the planet. And do you remember what happened? God poured out his Holy Spirit on sons and daughters, young and old. And on that day in Jerusalem, 2,000 years ago, when the first remnant of the church was gathered, all sorts of amazing things happened. Miracles happened. People began to speak in spiritual languages and people got the ability to hear from God. It was an incredibly miraculous moment. So Pentecostal churches typically uh, value the importance of the supernatural, of God doing special things, of God healing our bodies, of God revealing his plan to us, of God doing miracles, things that humans can't do. And that's what Pentecostals are known for. But they're also known for something else. <laughs> and after our little topic on the radio show, we had talk back and a man rang up and he said, oh, well, you know, I've heard about these Pentecostal churches. In fact, I've been to a few. And what I've noticed is that typically everyone comes through the door and they leave their brains there. <laughs> and he was saying that his, his experience that Pentecostal churches don't value thinking or intelligence. Now, I'm not going to do a pop survey to see if you agree with that statement or if you have found that to be true. But I want to talk to you about this morning about how to have faith without leaving your brains at the door. 
See, people get a little bit confused with this. Have you noticed? People see it as a bit of a seesaw. You can't have faith in a miraculous God unless you're a bit stupid. Because after all, who would believe in a virgin birth? I mean, come on. And then who would believe in a resurrection? When you're dead, you're dead. In fact, atheists and scientists get quite upset at Christians and they mock us and they say, these crazy Christians, they believe in impossible things. They say things like, just have faith when it's scientifically impossible. But the truth is that faith and intelligence is not a seesaw. Sometimes the scientists and the atheists don't recognise that where science in the Western world actually came from. Who invented the field of science? Well, if you go back to the origins of science, most of the key leading thinkers were Christians. And they looked at the world and they noticed that it was very ordered and it worked through patternings and through rules and through certain principles and they saw in it the nature and character of a God who was an author of beauty, of design. It wasn't a haphazard collation of things that just came together so they began to study it and they developed this field of science. So scientists, atheists, intellectuals often get this wrong. They see faith and intelligence as a seesaw. But you know what? Christians do it too. Christians sometimes think that in order to have faith, I need to dumb down my thinking. Because after all, it doesn't take common sense to believe in a resurrection. You know, when you come into the Pentecostal movement, I was raised in a different church. When you come into the movement and you start to train as a pastor, you realise that in the Pentecostal movement, you don't have to do much study to become a pastor. I think the latest amount is six months. And I remember attending my friend who became a minister in the Baptist church and she had to study for five years. To be a Catholic priest, you have to study for eight years. <laughs> He's going to be a minister in the Pentecostal <laughs> church, straight in. They were using different criteria to measure what it took to be a minister. But there was this seesaw that was happening and there's a little bit of a reason for that. Let me give you a little potted history lesson. The Australian Pentecostal movement was begun in the 1900s and it was begun amongst the working class the uneducated people. And they read their Bible and they saw that the spirit that was given on the day of Pentecost is still operating in the church today. And they started to believe it. And they started to pray for miracles. They started to pray, Holy Spirit, work in us in the same way that you worked in the first century. And they began to see things happen. And this Pentecostal movement was birthed through miracles and the gifts of the spirit and the supernatural and the presence of God. And as they were doing that, there was a reaction against it. And guess where the reaction came from? The theologians in the mainstream churches in the Bible colleges. The thinking people, the one with the degrees, the one that knew all the technical words, but who didn't believe in the supernatural. So then there was this reaction against it. And the seesaw went the other way. 
And people began to think that if you have too much intelligence and too much knowledge and too much thinking, you would find it hard to have faith. <laughs> well, what is the solution then? I asked myself this question. See, the truth is you can have faith and you can also use your mind. The two are not mutually exclusive, but they are different and we can't confuse them. In fact, in Scripture and in life, we see that there are two different types of knowledge. So we use the word know in different ways, don't we? So you can know a body of information. You can know what's in a textbook. You can know a lot of theology. But then you can also know a person. It's knowledge, but it's a different type of knowledge. In Scripture, knowledge is used to describe a relationship with someone. It's an experiential sense of knowledge. And it begins with a revelation. It begins with hearing and understanding what the Spirit is saying. And then it involves response. It involves action. It involves a movement of the heart. It's most frequently seen in people's stories. So when we read this scripture that you may know, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, We know that we've come to know God. How? If we keep his commands. In 1 Samuel, you may have heard of the young prophet Samuel who, came, who grew up in Israel to become very famous. But when he was a little boy, Scripture says of him, Samuel didn't yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord hadn't been revealed to him yet. It's a knowledge that comes via the spirit, by the heart, not by the mind. Paul talks about it this way in 1 Corinthians 2. He says this, This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. This type of knowledge in Scripture is called yada, using the Hebrew word. It's a knowledge of a person. It's a knowledge of God that comes via the Spirit, results in action and transformation. But then there's another type of knowledge, and I'm going to use a Greek word for this type of knowledge, gnoskein. And it comes from the Greek tradition. The Greeks were lovers of knowledge. They used to revere people like Plato and Socrates. They were the kind of people who would love to get to dinner and sit around and discuss matters of intellect. What do you know? What do you know? You know that Google has really ruined these kind of dinner parties. Do you know that? Everyone just Googles it, right? You can't even have a good argument because Google solves it all. But these Greeks loved to do that. They would love to discuss and they loved knowledge and they pursued it. 
This type of knowledge can be defined as standing back from something in order to objectively know it. It's abstract. It can be separated from a person's story. It's the type of information that you read in theology textbooks. It's useful. It's good. But it's not the type of knowledge that scripture associates with knowing God. You can see it a little bit in the lives of the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees were the intellectuals of Jesus' day. They were the Bible college theologians, if you like. They studied the scriptures thoroughly. They knew the Bible inside out. They knew how to exegete passages. They knew how to answer all the questions. They would sit around having debates about what scripture says. But then Jesus says these shocking words to them that challenges me to the core. You may know them in John chapter 5. He said of the Pharisees that you don't know me. You study the scriptures because by them you think that you know me. But you've never heard my voice. How is that possible? These people knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God personally. It's a bit like the English literature professor at university who studies the Bible as literature and they're an expert in it, but they don't know God. See, I started to learn this when I went on my own journey with God. I was raised in a church and our church was a really great church. And every week we would go to church and we would have really long sermons. I mean, we're talking an hour long and we'd be given the notes and they'd be 10 pages long. And they would have all the exegesis of the Hebrew from the Old Testament and the Greek from the New and and they'd be very, very complex. And I used to listen attentively because I wanted to know God. And then what I would do is I would memorise large chunks of scripture in the King James Version. Thank you very much. In fact, I memorised the whole book of Philippians. Like I wanted to know God. When I turned 16 for my birthday present, I got a commentary. When other people were getting nail polish and high heels, there was I reading my commentary. I wanted to know God. And then a few years later, I met a friend. I was in my young 20s at the time. And I remember talking with her. She was a Christian too. And we would chat. And after a while, I realised I was much smarter than her. Like really, I knew my Bible pretty well by now. But she used to talk about God like he was her next door neighbour. She talked about him differently to me. And I began to realise that I knew a lot about God. But I knew about God in the same way that you would know about the Queen of England through the pages of a magazine. I see, could you read all those articles? uh, The Queen loves her corgis. Who likes corgis? I don't think they're that cute. She likes bright colours. She's very dedicated to her country. She speaks the Queen's English. (laughs) 
You could know a lot about the Queen. You could be a Queen fan. You could love the royalty. You could buy every magazine and you can put the picture on the wall. And you could cite lots of information such that you could fill an encyclopedia. But you know what? You would never know the Queen of England personally until you sat down and talked to her. Until you sat down and had a meaningful, personal, two-way conversation with her. And then as you had that conversation, you would allow that interaction to change you, to transform you. It's two types of knowledge. It's one involves revelation and action. The other involves information. So how do we gain this knowledge that the Bible speaks of? How do we gain yada? How do we know God? See, there's nothing wrong with doing all those study methods. There's nothing wrong with using our minds to know God. But how do we know God for ourselves? Well, Jesus said these words. He said, my people recognise my voice and they follow. My people recognise my voice and they follow. Well, it would have been quite easy for the disciples to do that, don't you think? How good would that have been to hang out with Jesus? You could just chat with him as you're walking down the streets of Jerusalem. You could ask him your questions as you're sitting having dinner over bread and olives. You could listen to him talk on the temple steps. You could recognise his voice because everything that Jesus did was God's voice to us. Scripture describes him as the word of God in the flesh. Everything he said was God's word. But everything he did was God's word. How good would it have been to have a two-way conversation with Jesus? So you can only imagine the shock, the horror of when Jesus announced his leaving. Hey, guys, great knowing you. I've got to go. What? Jesus, you've got to go? What, what, do you, what do you mean? You, you can't go. How, how do you know? How are we going to know how to hear your voice? How are we going to know what to do? You're about to give us the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. Um, but we've never gone into the world to preach the gospel to every nation before. <laughs> and we're supposed to build the church with you. But uh, what's a church? How are we going to know what to do? And then Jesus said these words. He said, don't worry because it's going to be really good if I leave because when I do, I'm going to send you my spirit and my spirit's going to remind you of everything I've already told you, all those truths about salvation, about what God is like, all those truths that are written down in Scripture. My spirit's going to remind you of what I've come to reveal. But you're going to have so many more questions and you can't handle all the answers right now. But don't worry because my spirit is going to speak to you about things to come. As you go out 
on mission. As you go out and live your life, my spirit's going to take those truths of the gospel that I came to show you and then apply it to your life, to your situation. It's going to be better because I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And of course, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. God's spirit came. So when we come today to ask ourselves, how do I know God? Well, in the same way that Jesus' disciples recognised God's voice and followed it, we're now called to recognise the voice of the Spirit and follow it. And as we do, we will know God. The truth of this was seared deeply into my heart a couple of years ago, a few years ago. I was halfway through my PhD in researching hearing God's voice. Isn't that a fun thing to do? A PhD in hearing God's voice. (laughs) And I remember I was staying at my mum's home and I was on a special intensive in Melbourne. And during that week as I was studying about how to do a PhD, I had a conversation with my mum that was really mean. Yeah, I know. You think I couldn't be mean. But I spoke really harshly to her. I spoke really meanly. I was frustrated with her. I'm like, oh. And I made her cry. And I remember in the moments after that feeling so convicted, so ashamed. How could I, as a loving daughter, as a follower of Jesus, speak so harshly to my mum? And I felt the Holy Spirit gently convict me. Learn to love your mum. My mum and I are very different. She left school at 13 years of age. She had to work to help feed her family. They were immigrants to Australia. They were very poor And my mum had sat in the principal's office as my mum, my grandmother had walked her in and told the principal that she had to take her out of school. And my mum sat there crying her eyes out. All she wanted to do was be a teacher. She had to leave her schooling to work. And God had called me to love my mum, different as I might be to her. I remember thinking about my own journey at that time And I remember realising that 13 years of theological study meant nothing if I didn't follow God's voice, if I didn't recognise the continuing voice of Jesus speaking to me in spirit-inspired words, revealing to me the way of God's kingdom and then calling me to follow. This is what it means to know God. It isn't always easy. It isn't always simple to do what the Spirit calls us to do. But as we follow, we come to know God. As I learnt to love my mum, I came to know God. Now, it's interesting to look at Jesus' experiences with the disciples. They did internship too. Three years of it. 
I'm sure it wasn't as good as the internship here because the interns here are the best interns of all time. (laughs) Three years of internship they had with Jesus and then they graduated. So what was their final test? How did they know that they were ready to be released into ministry? How did they know that they had attained the goals of spiritual growth? Well, Jesus conducts a final exam on one of them. It happens after his resurrection. And he comes to Peter and he says these words to Peter in Matthew, sorry, in John chapter 21. He says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my people. Peter, do you love me? Will you love others? There was no exam about how much knowledge he had, how perfect his doctrine, how much he got the intellectual parts of it right. The exam was about the state of his heart. The exam was about following Jesus. The exam was about how much have you responded to what I've called you to do. See, the beauty of this is it's accessible to anyone. Anyone can follow Jesus, young or old. The A-plus students, the ones who are dropouts, the ones who are the highest levels of society and the low. Anyone can receive the revelation of God and follow. That's what he's calling each one of us to do today. So my last question is then, well, what do we do with our brains? (laughs) If that's true, if it's all about hearing from God, recognising his voice, acting in faith on what God's saying, how do I respond with my mind? Well, (laughs) we don't throw it out. And in fact, Jesus said that we're called to love God with all our heart, with all our soul and with all of our mind. It's possible to have faith and take your brains with you. Peter and Paul are great examples of this. Peter was a common fisherman, an everyday person. It says of him that he was an ordinary, unschooled person. He knew what it was to have faith. But then he would read Paul's writings and he would say things like, they're a little bit hard to understand. See, Paul was an intellectual. He was a smart man. He was trained by the best of the best. And in fact, God used his gift to do some brilliant theology and to help the Jews understand what their backstory meant for all of the Gentiles. God used his brains. God used his intellect. God wants us to do that with our minds. God calls us not to be scared of the intellectual questions. It's okay to have questions of God. But we must remember that our our intelligence is the servant of our faith, but not the master. Primarily, what God is looking for is, do you love me? Will you follow me? Will you listen to me? Will you be ready to live in faith, to live a supernatural life?
with me. Sometimes it means going against what our mind says, doesn't it? Has anyone ever experienced that? (laughs) I remember I left my secure job to start the Ministry of God Conversations and everyone said, what are you going to do? Where's the money going to come from? I don't know. God's told me to do it. When I started my church back in Melbourne years ago, And it was a dire situation and we had no money and it was the red light district and I didn't really have a great team, but God had spoken. Would I follow? God is calling us to be a disciple, to love Him with all of our hearts, with all of our souls and to use our intellect for God. I spent the last six years in my PhD researching about how to hear God's voice and I recently finished a book on the topic and I believe that my brains and my thinking and my theologizing and my study of scripture is going to help people I believe I've loved God with my mind but I also understand that this is not a measure of my spiritual maturity that has very little to do with how well am I loving God and loving people How well am I following Jesus? How well am I listening to the conviction of the Spirit when He calls me to do things that go against my sin nature? This revelation is available to all of us and He calls us to do the same. Are you following this morning? Are you listening to what God is saying? Do you love me? Jesus said. It's the same call for the early disciples as it is for us. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. Jesus described our posture towards God as having the faith of a child. I love that. (laughs) I love that every person young or old, educated or uneducated, poor or rich, low class, high class, privileged, non-privileged, every person can hear from God and is called to follow, can experience the same treasures of revelation, the richness of God's goodness, the things that are worth so much more than worldly knowledge. It looks foolish in the eyes of the world, Paul said, but it's the riches of heaven. Are you pursuing those riches today? The depths of the knowledge of God. Why don't we pray? Father, I thank you that we are a Pentecostal church that we have received the Spirit of Jesus to everyone that chooses to follow Jesus today. The Spirit comes, the presence of God in our lives, reminding us of everything that Jesus said, speaking to us about things to come. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, 
to convict us, to lead us into truth, to reveal more of the riches and the knowledge and the depths of heaven. God, to unveil your supernatural ability to work in and through our lives. We come to you in faith, knowing that without it's impossible to walk with you. I invite you this morning by faith to listen to the Spirit and to say yes, to follow. We thank you, Lord. Spirit, move amongst us. We lay down our lives. We choose to follow you, God. And by your grace, Lord, give us wisdom and revelation, knowledge of you. Help us to know you for ourselves, to know your grace, to know your love, to know your goodness and to be transformed by it, we pray. In Jesus' name. you to seek God first. Use your natural gifts, use your understanding, ask the questions of your intellect. Don't leave your brains at the door. (laughs) Bring them in. (laughs) We need you. (laughs) But understand that it's the servant and not the master. Keep seeking God. Keep seeking the depths of the knowledge of Him. Seek to love Him and love others. And in doing so, we're going to see the kingdom of heaven come from heaven to earth. Amen.